Several years ago, a man wrote a letter to Dear Abby, and it said something like this. Dear Abby, I am in love, and I'm having affairs with two different women other than my wife. I love my wife, but I love these other women too. Please tell me what to do, but don't give me any of that morality stuff. Signed, too much love for only one. This is what Abby wrote back. Dear, too much love for only one. The only difference between humans and animals is morality. So you need to write to a veterinarian. You see, we've been made in the image of God. And God expects better of us to live our lives than to live our lives according to the same instincts that the animals do. Our vision statement here at Sawgrass has been love in ways that matter. Love in ways that matter. But what does that mean? What does that even look like? How do we start love in ways that matter? We start by defining love. And when we talk about love, we have to go to the source. And scripture speaks much on the topic of love. And the first thing we discover about love in our text this morning is that love is rooted and grounded in God alone. John tells us right there in verse 8, again in verse 16, God is love. That's a huge statement. Try restating that same thing with a person's name in place of God. Name of a person you know, maybe your mom or a friend, a pastor, or even yourself. There are probably just few people that could fit in that spot, in that statement. For most people, it's probably mom. Because moms usually show us that mature, self-giving, genuine love. But no matter how full, no matter how rich and how steadfast your mom's love is, you would not say that she is love. You would say that she is loving. And the statement, mom is loving, can never be changed to mom is love. Because love doesn't characterize who she is. Loving describes what she does. Loving describes her actions. But love does characterize God. Loving is not just another action of God like ruling or judging. No, God is love. John Piper describes it this way. He said, love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. In the same way the sun gives light because it is light. In the same way fire gives heat because it is heat. God gives love because he is love. But the world pushes back against that. The world likes to tell us that love is an emotion. It's between people in a relationship. And we've been taught that if we just love enough, then the world, if the world just loved more, then everything will be okay. We sing songs about it. All the world needs now is love, sweet love. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Those are all great messages, except that they put love as strictly a product of human effort. 
but without involving God, love will never succeed in making the world a better place. Mankind has been trying to make the world a better place since we've been in existence. Look around. Does it look like a better place? Humans are still doing horrible things to one another. We still steal, we still rape, and we still kill each other. Because in a world that ignores God, we're becoming a terrible place, not a better place. See, love originates with God. And only when we have that experience of his love and understand God's love can we begin to learn to love one another. John states in verse 7 of our text, Let us love one another, for love is from God. It's an encouragement to allow God's love to flow through us. Let us love one another. If God is love, then those who claim to be born of God and claim to know God must also be known by his love. God's love should characterize our behavior and our actions. John told us in a previous chapter in 1 John 3, he said, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. That's a pretty clear statement. If you don't love, you're on Satan's side. If you do love, then you must be on God's side. Jesus himself told us in John chapter 13, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The followers of Christ, those who claim to do the will of God and reflect God's activity in the world, will be known by the love that they manifest for God and the love that they share with others. So what John's point of view is, is in our new birth. What is our new birth? Meaning, when we become born again, when we say, Jesus, I am a sinner, and I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. That's the new birth. And in that moment, we are imparted with divine life from the Father. The Holy Spirit connects our dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart. So that his life becomes our life. And an indispensable part of that life is God's love. And God's nature is love. So when we're born again, that nature becomes a part of who we are. So not only is his life our life, but his love becomes our love. So that his love can be perfected in us. In verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. When we're born again, God himself is imparted to us. He dwells in us, and his love reigns in our hearts. His aim is that this love be perfected in you and me so that he will be glorified, so that the people out there will know who he is. Verse 13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. 
when we display God's love to the world, when we love in ways that matter as the body of Christ, we make the invisible God visible to the world that so desperately needs him. See, John wants his readers to find assurance in their standing with Jesus. So he reminds them and he reminds us that we know we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us because of our love for one another. He stresses this point by presenting the negative. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. There's that Satan-God thing again. If you love, then you are with God. Because where there's a lack of love for others, there's neither love nor knowledge of God. A lack of love shows a disconnect with the source of love, who is God. In Scripture, love is not an abstract concept. It's very clearly defined. Listen to how Paul describes love in the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Try putting your name in where the word love is. See how that how that resonates with you. Because I know I can't. I'm not there. But in a recent study, people were asked to describe Christians. And these are the words that were given in this particular study. Out of touch. Pushy. Arrogant. Judgmental. Hypocritical. Insensitive. That doesn't exactly sound like the description that Paul just gave us. Sounds like we have some serious work to do. Which is why John brings up his second point about love in our text this morning. God models what genuine love looks like. The love that Paul describes is the love modeled for us by God. In verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. You see, we're given a specific manifestation of love in the sending of Jesus. Christian love is meant to be self-denying. It's meant to be self-sacrificing. It gives of itself to those it loves. Jesus had it all. He had all the riches, all the glory, and the prestige of heaven. But he gave it all up to become one of us. Even to suffer death on the cross for us. That's the love that Paul was telling us about earlier in chapter 13. And it's that amazing love like we sang about earlier. 
But the world tells us a different message. The world tells us, no, love is getting whatever you can out of a relationship. And then when you're tired of them, just cast them aside. But Christian love means that you love others so much that you behave the same way Jesus behaved. Amen. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. The Almighty, the Holy Spirit, the Almighty God. Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I saw God's eyes. I used to be your friend of God, Jesus Christ. To the devil. I saw the people. The stripper and the holy. Amen. We're glad you're here. We are glad to have you with us this morning. Now, Mr. Robert, God told us. Very nice to meet you, Robert. I'm Kristen. <laughs> this is Debbie. Love is supposed to be self-denying. So, are we trying to get what we want out of our life? Love is meant to be self-sacrificing. Are we trying to promote ourselves to the detriment of others? Leadership Magazine carried a story several years ago about four young men. They were Bible college students, and they were renting a house near school. One Saturday morning, Someone knocked on the door, and when they opened it, it was a bedraggled-looking old man with a basket full of vegetables. His clothes were ragged and torn. His shoes didn't match. In fact, they were both for the same foot. And he was selling his vegetables to the young men. The boys felt sorry for him, so they bought some of his vegetables just to help him out, and he went on his way. But every Saturday, he would come back and they would let him in the house, and they would sit down. And they started to learn that this elderly man was a man of God, and that they would start to sing. He would, he would play the harmonica for them, and they would sing hymns. He was only be our son, and who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. And the boys wanted to help this old man. One day, the young men had taken up a collection. They had boxes of clothes and boxes of shoes. And they left them at this man's shack where they found out he had lived. And then the following Saturday, he came knocking on their door. And he was all excited. And he said to them, guess what? God is so good. And they said, yeah, what happened? He said, well, I opened my door this morning, and right there were boxes of shoes and boxes of clothes. And they said, well, that's great. And he said, yes, but it gets better. He said, you know how good God is? And they said, well, how good is God? He said, I found a family that actually needed them. That's self-denying. That's self-sacrificing. That's God's love poured out on others. And that's loving in ways that matter. You see, when we're born again, we become children of God. 
And children of God should display the traits of God. If God is generous, self-giving, and compassionate, then those who claim to know him as our Father must be also. The children of God must love as God loves. Which brings us to the final statement that our text brings to our attention this morning. God commands us to love others. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love for us should inspire us to love others. We were once in darkness and God sent us light. We were dead and God sent his life. When we were in sin, God sent his son. When we were in despair, God sent his love. To paraphrase what, God is, what John is saying here, if God loves us in this way, and look to the cross, if God loves us this way, then we ought naturally, out of gratitude and connection to the very source of love, love one another. John expects followers of Christ to demonstrate love in action. Love is not an emotion. Love is a verb. Love is an action word. And followers of Christ are called to live out Christ's love in kindness, in generosity, in service to others. Our motivation to obey God's command to love one another should be a joy for us when we look to the cross. And when we soak up in what he did for us, loving others is not going to come out of feeling guilty, but out of gladness. We're not motivated by our failures, but by his forgiveness. We're moved to love because of our connection to Jesus, who so lavishly loved upon us. Jesus gave us the same command in Matthew 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And it was a command. It was not a suggestion. It was not a recommendation. It was not just a good idea that we might consider. If we truly love God, then we must truly love our brothers and sisters. As the Lord saith, the God of the kingdom of heaven. Our love for God and our love for people cannot be divided. They cannot be separated. They're bookends of the same command. They're the heads and tails of the same coin of love. You see, our ability to actually love God is connected to the reality of our love for fellow human beings. And that love is not meant to be sporadic. It's not meant to be periodic. It's not an occasional love. It's continual and goes on and on. It reflects and demonstrates for all to see the love of God for sinners that was put on public display on the Roman cross. God's love has brought us life. 
Jesus' death on the cross brings us into relationship with him where we're able to experience that life-giving love. And because we experience his love, this command, this ought to, is received with hope and joy. Because when we're in touch with and connected to the source of love, when we've been shown what love is, when we're the recipients of his great and healing love, this command, this ought to, suddenly becomes a welcome opportunity. Love is not foreign to the child of God. It's not alien to our experience, and it's not beyond our ability with God. And suddenly this phrase, ought to, becomes an expectation of normal behavior for us. In much the same way that a fish ought to swim. In much the same way a bird ought to fly. Child of God ought to love at all times, no matter what. John sums up the why for loving others in verse 19. It's one of the most simple and straightforward verses in the Bible. We love because he first loved us. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. God took the initiative, not us. Our love finds its beginning in God's love because God defines love. He loves us. And the love that now abides in us and has been perfected in us overflows in words and actions to others. The Father's love is the source and the cause of our love for others. If I'm not loving others as I ought to, then I don't know God's love as I should. And that's the argument that John presents to us as he closes out this chapter. In verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God is known to us through Jesus, but he's also revealed to us through our love for others. The love of his followers gives evidence of the activity of God among us. So when we leave this place, the love of God is there. People see God when we love them. On June 25, 1967, more than 400 million people in 26 countries watched via satellite the Beatles perform the song, All You Need Is Love. They had been asked to come up with a simple song that could be understood by all the nations. In fact, it was so popular, it became an anthem for what was known as the Summer of Love. Now, while I don't believe that the message of the song is correct, I can understand why it was the cry of their hearts and the cry of the hearts of the rest of the world that were listening. Because it is close to the truth. You see, what we really need is the God who is love. In fact, what we really need is Jesus, 
who was sent by the God who is love. What we need is not to be connected to love, but be connected to Jesus, who is the source of our love. And when that happens, the real love, the supernatural love, will flow like a river from him into you and out to others. And that's when people see and know the truth that God is love. This is why our vision, love in ways that matter, is so important. Because we become conduits of God's love to the community. But in order for God's love to pour out of us, we first need to grab hold of God's love sent through Jesus Christ. And in order for his love to be poured out of us, we first need to be filled up with it. Sometimes loving others is not an easy thing. Acts of love, especially for our enemies, can sometimes seem impossible. But that's why we need to remember who we are in Jesus and what we've received from the Father. The Holy Spirit in us is who enables us to love in ways that matter. This morning, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't put it off. Because it's a life-giving power from God that will enable you to love. And love completely. Love abundantly. There's a supernatural power in God's love. If you have any doubts, just look to the cross. Love in ways that matter. God's given you all an illustration, a sermon that I, I couldn't have done myself. But that's loving in ways that matter. That's walking someone, watching someone come in, knowing that he's different from the rest of us, and just letting him be him, and just loving him right where he's at. So he knows who the Father is. So he knows that Jesus is his Savior too. That's why we love in ways that matter. That's what it's all about. Holy Father, I am so humbled this morning and so overwhelmed by just how awesome you are. You give us the privilege of having your love just so we can pour it out on others. We don't deserve it, but we're so grateful for it, Father. As we leave this place, may the message that you brought to us this morning, may it hold tight in our hearts. May we, may we keep it there. May we keep going back to it as a reminder in the world. Father, thank you for Jesus. And in his holy and precious name, amen.